Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. It was great to welcome back to the Meeting House recently O.S. Hawkins of Guidestone Financial Resources, longtime pastor and theologian who has written a series of books highlighting principles from Scripture using the term code in the title. The latest is on prayer. You'll find out more ahead. Then, the Christmas season gives families the opportunity to discuss the birth of Christ and what it means. Laura Ritchie has written a number of books centered around the theme of Advent. You'll be hearing her share about her most recent works. And on this edition of The Intersection, Frank Turek of CrossExamine.org, who is also on the faculty of Summit.org, discussed elements of religious freedom as he commented on the results of a new poll commissioned by Summit that examines such important issues such as where our rights come from, God or government. Finally, you'll be hearing from Joe Dallas. He shared his insight on the topic of cancel culture with me and gave his comments and analysis on instances in which officials attempt to punish those who make a conscience decision they do not like. Comments from that conversation are coming up. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. O.S. Hawkins has had 50 years of ministry experience, including a quarter century of pastoral ministry. He has served as president and CEO of Guidestone Financial Resources. He has written a number of books that provide solid principles for Christians to apply in their walk with the Lord, books which contain the word code in the title. His latest is entitled The Prayer Code, 40 Scripture Prayers Every Believer Should Pray. Here now from a recent Meeting House conversation is O.S. Hawkins. The only thing the disciples ever asked the Lord to teach them to do, now being mindful of the fact they lived with him 24-7 for over three years. They saw him preach the world's greatest sermons, teach the world's greatest lessons, heal the sick, raise the dead. And yet the only thing they ever said, Lord, teach us to do, was in Luke 11, 1, Lord, teach us to pray. They watched his life. They realized the secret of his life was how he would get up a great while before day and pray. He'd pray all night in the mountains sometimes. And they, they, they knew that was the cap. They, cap, they captured that as the secret of his life. And so, yes, uh, in what you just said is so true. It's all wrapped up in knowing the will of God. And, you know, this is why Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, it, talking about prayer, he said, ask and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it'll be opened unto you. And so those three levels of prayer all relate to what you just talked about, the will of God. If you know the will of God in a matter, you ask and you receive. Uh, we know it's God's not willing that any perish, but that we come to salvation. If we come to Christ with a repentant heart and ask him to save us, he'll do it. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible promises shall be saved. So we know the will of God, we ask and receive. But then there are those circumstances and situations and times when we don't know the will of God for a matter. And so what do we do? We seek with the promise that we'll find it if we search for it with our whole heart. And then thirdly, there are times, well, I know this is the will of God, but the answer is not there. So there we just keep knocking and keep knocking and know that the truth is, he's promised he'd open it to us. So all of prayer relates to the will of God for our lives. Well, you mentioned this instance in Scripture where the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him to teach them to pray. 
And Jesus' response was what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Tell me what you see. And of course, we we confess this in our churches. We say it out loud. Perhaps there are, as far as Christians go, Bible-believing Christians, I would say that there are very few that don't know the Lord's Prayer. But I also think that perhaps it could be so familiar to us that we really don't stop and think about what we're actually saying. So tell me what you see as far as the significance of the Lord's Prayer. Exactly, Bob. In fact, chapter one in the prayer code deals with that very thing. Because the the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, is so familiar to so many of us that we rush right through it, skip over the first two words there in our quest to get to the more direct request, give us, forgive us, deliver us. But when we take a step back and we, we just focus on those first two words, our Father, our Father. You know, I, I remember... Bob, the day that I made the marvelous discovery as a new believer, that I didn't have to enter the enter into prayer like some beggar cowering down at the back door begging for a handout, that I was God's own child, seating at his own table, and could have the confidence and the boldness to preach, approach him. So the first word in the Lord's Prayer is our, that unselfish recognition that he is our Father. So often in prayer, our prayers are taken up with a string of I, 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 me, 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 my, my, mine. But it's our Father. And you know, I prayed this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. I prayed it in Africa and open wall churches under ten roofs with, with, with people there. I prayed it in India and caste systems with believers. I prayed with Arab believers in Muslim countries in Cuba, uh, with those still oppressed by a failed communist regime in Israel with with uh, Jewish believers, with my black Hispanic brothers and sisters here in America. Saints in prayer all appear as one. And, and when we come to the Lord's Prayer, it's our, and then it's our Father. Uh, many have the erroneous idea that we're all God's children. We're not. The Bible says we're all God's creation, but we're not all God's children because the Bible says we're children of God by faith, in Jesus Christ. As many as received him, the Bible says, to them gave you the right to be called the children of God. So we're children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So when we say our Father, we're recognizing that we're part of a big family of God and that we've been born into his family and we can come with all the boldness of a child to a father to make these requests. O.S. Hawkins here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to oshawkins.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Laura Ritchie. She is a children's author and illustrator. Ian Dale has collaborated with her on two board books released for this Advent season, My First Advent Storybook and Count My Way to Jesus. From a recent conversation, here now is Laura Ritchie. I was trying to find something that would really help them and me, honestly, understand the significance of Jesus coming And as I looked through the Old Testament, I just kept seeing this theme of of God promising to rescue us. Mm. And, you know, in the beginning, um, when God made everything, everything was good. We had perfect friendships between God and, you know, us and God, um, each other, us and all of creation. Um, And then when Adam and Eve believed Satan's lies, everything broke, everything shattered at that point. And those perfect friendships were gone. Um, But God 
spoke a promise that he would send a son to crush the head of the serpent and make everything good, good and new again. Um, so the, the original Advent storybook traces that promise, you know, through the Old Testament. So um, we have Noah and then Abraham and then um, prophets and kings, you know, and on and on um, until we finally get to Jesus. Um, and he was that promised son that all of those people through all of those centuries have been waiting for, um, you know, the one who would come and make everything good and new again, like it was in the beginning. Mm. And so you capture that essence in, well, as we might say, condensed form for the My First Advent Storybook. Right. Yes, it's much shorter, but the same theme is present. You know, we have, we start out with Abram. And then um, you go to the, the next picture, day two, is the illustration of the Israelites going through the Red Sea where God parted the waters. Um, and then the next one is David, and then Mary, and finally the Nativity, you know, Jesus. Um, so it's definitely the same theme, it's just a lot more condensed so that the little guys can actually pay attention. Sure. And, and uh, sit through it. I do, as promised, want to come back to count my way to Jesus. Obviously, this is something that is used to help younger children learn to count, and you're using Bible stories in order to help them to do that. So kind of explain, if you would, how that works. Yeah. So the very first story in Count My Way to Jesus is um, the nativity. And so you know, it talks about how um, there were five people that were, were so happy he would come as promised. And then um, you're prompted to count the happy grown-ups. So you have Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. There are three shepherds. So you count them. And then you can count the five animals. But then as you look at the manger, it's empty. And so you, you know, the question is, well, where is baby Jesus? And so you count your way through the rest of the stories until you get to the end. And Jesus is in the manger where he should be. Um, but each story um, prompts you to count something in the story. So the next one, you count Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and the laughing little lamb there. Um, the next one is you count three camels. Um, so the, it's an interactive kind of way to make it interesting for kids and also teach them how to count to five. Laura Ritchie here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website adventstorybook.com. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org or by going to meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. Also, there are links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast link. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the Fall 2021 Christian Product Expo near St. Louis. Again, the website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and more. 
Continuing now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's the president of crossexamined.org, Frank Turek. He also serves on the faculty at summit.org. In a recent conversation, he responded to data from a poll commissioned by Summit examining the source of rights as well as issues related to religious freedom. Here now from that conversation is Frank Turek. Summit.org in partnership with the polling organization McLaughlin and Associates just released the results of a poll that actually showed some of the opinions regarding religious freedom of those that were polled. And I want to run over some of these key insights from this particular poll and, and get your take on the freedom that we have, the freedom to practice our faith as Christians in this nation. Nearly three out of four of American voters said that our rights come from God, not the government. And as you well know, we have people that are serving, whether elected or unelected, that seem to have that backward that believe that the government is the end-all, be-all, the bestowers of rights in our nation. It is refreshing to see in this polling data that nearly three out of four, 73% of voters say that our rights are given to us by God and not government. So talk about the significance of that particular concept as we look at our founders, as we look at our founding documents, just some of the historic uh, principles upon which this nation was founded. We recognize that our rights are from our creator. So how important is that? Well, it's very important, Bob, because if rights don't come from God, they're not really rights, they're just preferences. Because if the government changes, does that mean your rights go away? No. As our founders said in our Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men were created equal and endowed by their government. No. Endowed by their creator, with certain unalienable rights, among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And governments are instituted among men to protect rights. The reason that Jefferson and his cohorts decided to declare their independence was because the government of King George III was not protecting the rights of the colonists. The colonists. So they decided that they were going to throw off the fetters of King George because he wasn't protecting rights. We need a government that protects rights. Governments don't give you your rights. Governments are supposed to merely protect your rights. Again, if a government were to give you your rights, that would mean it wouldn't be a right because once the government changed, would that mean your rights have changed? No. Governments mm. don't give rights. Governments are just supposed to protect rights. And as we look at these rights given to us by God, it's something that really is hardwired into our founding documents, into the practice of American life for so many years. Nevertheless, we are seeing in these days where you have governmental officials, you have the courts, the judiciary, legislatures, people that are in authority that are attempting to place rules and regulations, restrictions on people that would cause them to be in a position where they might even have to set aside their rights, their freedoms that are guaranteed to us by our Constitution, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of association and expression. And in these days of cancel culture, there are those that do not want to have a robust discussion of some of these issues. They want to shut down debate. 
and shut down those that disagree with them. And that is certainly something that is is troubling here in American life these days, it seems. Yeah, it is, because if you can't actually discuss these issues, then how can we bring sunlight to a problem? I can't remember who said it. It was one of our founding fathers that said, sunlight is the best disinfectant, meaning Hmm. an open discussion of issues is the best way to ensure you can get to the truth. If you can't question something, Bob, it's not science, it's propaganda. And in our country, people are saying you can't question anything about vaccines, you can't question anything about elections, you can't question anything about transgender rights or any of these things. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, that's not really a free discussion and it's not really science or anything else, it's mere propaganda when you wanna shut down dialogue on any of these issues. And by the way, let's be fair, in, in the past, the church has, has sometimes resorted to dogma and tried to shut down free speech. So it's not a one-way street, but right now it's the secularists that want to shut down free speech. They don't want anybody discussing these issues. They want to say, listen to us, and if you don't, we're going to hurt you. If you try and speak out against these things, in the name of inclusion, tolerance, and diversity, we will not include you or tolerate you if you express a diverse view. It's very hypocritical. Frank Torek here on The Intersection. The Cross-Examined website is crossexamined.org. The Summit website is summit.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Joe Dallas, the author of the book, Christians in a Cancel Culture, Speaking with Truth and Grace in a Hostile World. In our conversation, he discussed some of the concepts he relates in the book and addressed a variety of issues. Here now from that conversation is Joe Dallas. I am vehemently opposed to these mandates for people to get vaccinated against their own conscience. We should not have to justify to the government our decision not to receive a vaccine, which, by the way, the merits of which are still debatable. We don't know all we need to know about COVID itself, much less about the different vaccines available. And uh, it is a modern scandal that we have this kind of government overreach. Because as you said, yes, uh, millions of people are facing loss of job and income only because they are choosing to follow their own conscience. And I say, God bless them. I think they should. And I think that there is something in the American spirit which should rebel at this kind of government overreach. And here is my primary concern. It goes way beyond COVID, Bob. My concern is the precedent that is being set. Yes. The precedent being set at this time under this administration is one by which the federal government says, we know better than you. Therefore, we will decide for you. And if you will not comply with our decision, we will use any means necessary to either force you to comply or to punish you severely if you don't in the most basic way. Now, this should have everyone in a dander. And no, I'm not for going out and, you know, destroying property and marching and looting and so forth. Um, But I am very much in favor of pushback. And I am uh, actually very proud of Americans who are saying, no, you have no right to force us to do this. And on that point, I fully agree with them and fully support them. How do you get government control? You get it by precedents that initially seem justified. So you take a crisis, which everyone can recognize, and you respond to the crisis in a heavy-handed way, and you tell the people, well, we need to do this for your own safety. 
Now, there you just set a precedent. Then the next time you want to gain control over another aspect of American life, you say, well, now we have proven before that it is sometimes necessary for us to acquire control, so we're going to acquire control in this area as well. This is what we're seeing, and this is what I think has a lot of Americans both angry and frightened. And uh, again, Bob, I think we should be both. I really do. How do we respond in these circumstances as we see the trends and as we see this this mindset of of people being demanded and threatening to cancel you if you don't comply? All of this brings us back to basics, Bob. In a way, we're having to revisit Christianity 101. (laughs) Uh, Christianity was not birthed in a culture that said, well, welcome to you, Christians. We're so glad you're here in Rome. Take a seat. Uh, As a matter of fact, there was cultural hostility they faced then, And for much of the church over the centuries, this has been business as usual, we're the ones who aren't accustomed to it. I mean, on the one hand, I'm so so proud of America's history. I'm so grateful for that. But on the other hand, because we've had it so good, I sometimes feel like as modern Christians, we are people who um, always were kind of lazy, and all of a sudden we find out we're going to have to run a marathon. And we're saying, well, I don't know if I'm in shape for that. Well, you got to get in shape pretty quick. So I think it takes us back to basics. I think we have to remember, first of all, our priorities, our allegiances to the kingdom of God. Jesus said, my kingdom is God of this world. I am a Christian before I am an American. Um, the, the, the nation of the United States is not the church. It has been influenced by Christian principles. I hope and pray it will continue to be. But whether it is or whether it isn't, we have to be about our Father's business, which is preaching the gospel, making disciples, taking care of our families, attending to our business, and being faithful and speaking the truth and love. And when our backs are against the wall, we have to say what Peter said very plainly. Whether it's right to obey God or man, judge you, but for ourselves, we cannot help but speak the things we have seen and heard. And then if there are consequences for that, then so be it. We will face those consequences, as Christians have had to do. But, and this is a big but I want to throw in here, if we passively sit here and do not resist when we could resist, and that causes our own martyrdom, then I see no honor in that martyrdom. I mean, uh, when we have a system that allows us to vote, to speak freely, to participate, and we refuse to do so, We don't have any right to whine about it then when our freedoms are taken away. Joe Dallas here on The Intersection. He can be found online at joedallas.com. Well, we are nearing the conclusion of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. There are links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. You can also find information on video content. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House, and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. 
Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.